Hey, glad to be here. Can I have a woohoo this morning? Hey, great to have you with us. If you are traveling through, we are so excited for you to be here at East Brainerd. If you came to be a part of all the babies and to celebrate with them, we are glad if you are here. Grandmas and grandpas, aunts, uncles, thanks for coming and sharing with us. Hey, if you are starting college this week, man, we are glad that you guys are here. It has been move-in week, so whether you are working on your undergrad or you're in a graduate program somewhere, here in the area. We are glad that, uh, that you are here to be a part. want to make sure uh, that if you are here and if you're uh, in college or if you've just gotten out, if you're newly married, I want you to know that uh, we have a special gathering time after our um, worship uh, in here. It's called Yak and we want you to be a part of our herd, okay? We want you to be part of our Yak Herd. If you're a young adult in college, you can uh, look on the back of your glory, praise, and honor. You can see uh, the room here on our campus where um, our Yak get together, and we want you to go and be a part of that and enjoy that that time this morning. Uh, for the rest of you guys, you're going to be given the opportunity here in a few minutes uh, to uh, spread out around our campus and to go and discuss some of the things that we're about to be talking about as we open up God's Word together and share with one another. Uh, we want you to be able to have time to, uh, to walk through some of the, the different things that God is going to, to bring out as we, as we go together. We've been doing this all summer long. It's called Surrounded, and it has been a wonderful opportunity for, for those in, in the back to get to know those in the front, and those on the left side to get to know those on the right side, as we have combined many of our existing or pre-existing Bible classes so that members of our congregation can spend more time in conversation with one another and be able to, to share life and to talk about what God has been doing in one another's midst. And we want you to take advantage of this. Just a couple of more weeks left. And so again, I tell you to look on the back of your glory, praise, and honor. If you're new with us, don't worry about those names, Sunseeker and Sunlight and, and Village and all those things. Those are some names that uh, we have given to our pre-existing classes. And those who have been a part of those, they understand that. But if you're new with us, uh, just go to our gym, our Family Life Center, our FLC sometimes it's called. You can find that by going out the back doors. They are turning to your left, following the signs. There'll be a class that'll be in there and you'll be able to enjoy. Or, hey, if you're sitting beside somebody that you think would like to take you to lunch, just go to class with them. Just do that. Go to class with them and then ask if they'll take you to lunch afterwards and just enjoy, enjoy that time because we are glad that you are, we're glad that you are here. You know, a couple of weeks back, I had the opportunity to uh, go out for the first time to uh, California. Uh, my daughter Emily uh, was uh, blessed to be able to go to a leadership uh, week that was hosted on the campus of Pepperdine uh, University, and um, you know, I had to go. You know, so uh, I thought, hey, why, why don't I go out to the um, why don't I go out to the West Coast? Because do you know what happens? At, you know what happened at Pepperdine back in the, back in the seventies. I mean, you guys know, 70s and 80s, you know what cool thing went on at Pepperdine? That's right, Battle of the Network Stars. That's right, how many of you guys remember that? We're going to see who's old in the room right now, okay? All you old people, raise your hand. Batter, Battle of the Network Stars. Now, for those of you who are younger, let me explain something. Back in the 70s, there were three channels. That was it, okay? 
You had ABC, NBC, CBS, and if you were lucky, you could go outside and turn the antenna and pick up some U channel that was broadcast from some foreign country, I think. But you basically had three channels. And ABC came up with the idea of doing Battle of the Network Stars, where all of your favorite favorite actors from all of your favorite television shows got together and they performed, um, they, they went, went through and performed different, um, different athletic feats uh, and they competed against one another and there were all of these races and it was hosted by this dude named Howard Cosell. Now, now, Howard Cosell is not the one with the afro. He's the one with the yellow jacket right there. Okay, that's Gabe Kaplan. And uh, by the way, Gabe Kaplan, what was he in, guys? Welcome back, Cotter. That's right. It was kind of like the Big Bang Theory of the 1970s, okay? And so you had Howard Cosell, which gave, which gave this legitimacy. I mean, if Howard Cosell was there, this was a big deal. And so, and so each week you would have these different actors, your favorite stars co competing in all of these different um, activities, in these races and competitions. And, and maybe some of you remember being able to watch the original Wonder Woman, right? Linda Carter compete and, and race, and there she is right there uh, on the campus of Pepperdine, right there on the track, and so I just had to, I went and I, I went to the exact spot because I'm like, this is where Wonder Woman was, and so I'm like, I am here. It's changed a little bit there in the background, but, but that is the spot. I mean, I was there. Battle of the Network Stars was right there at that location, and I got to go and stand there. It was so awesome. It was, it was worth the trip. It was great just to be a part of that and to, and to think about, man, all the, all the cool things that happened there and all the races and, and all the obstacle courses that they ran. And it started me thinking about this verse that we're doing this summer. It's from Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 1 where it says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let's throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let's run with perseverance, the race that is marked out before us. Now the word there for race is a word, uh, is a Greek word ag agon, which is where we get agony from. Because only the weird people enjoy running. And we've got some of them here. I, I was just talking to a whole family. The Webb family this morning was talking about how that they went and before worship today ran like 18 miles together as a family. And we said, we'll pray for you because you guys are just weird. <laughs> You're just, you're just weird. Um, but the word indicates that the race that is marked out is no fun run, okay? Uh, another picture from Battle of the Network Stars. Does, does that look fun? I mean, look, I mean, somebody just face-planted right there after they went through the tires. And th this is what is being talked about in Hebrews chapter 12. It, it's running until your side hurts and your lungs burn and your muscles begin to cramp, but you don't give up. You keep on going. You see, Scripture says that this race has been marked out for us, and that means you don't get to choose your race. You don't get to choose your path. You don't get to choose where it is that you run. Because if it was up to us, we would all run along a tropical beach and everything would be downhill. And there would be water stations like every five feet. And the route would be filled with, this, with these awesome songs coming from these speakers. They're just pumping out all of this great music. And you know, some Christians just think that signing up to follow Jesus is like signing up for a fun run. I've signed up with Jesus and everything should go well. 
And yet you study through scripture and what you find is that those who, who faithfully ran the race that God had marked out for them, and they had to deal with some really big obstacles and one right after another. And the faith-filled face significant and often surprising obstacles. Nehemiah ran that kind of race. Nehemiah is a character that you can read about in your Old Testament. He was an individual that came, to, came into history at a very troubling time, a very humbling time for the people of Israel. They had been exiled. They were foreigners in a strange land. They had been humiliated and dragged off by a, a foreign power. See, in 587 B.C., the Babylonians conquered the Israelites. And they hauled everyone off to serve them. And then the Persian Empire rose up and conquered the Babylonians. And they just enveloped those who were from Israel. It's at this time that we begin to catch up with Nehemiah. He is an Israelite in a faraway land. He lives in the capital city of Persia. And he has a prominent position with the king. And we've talked about this before. We saw this with the life of of Joseph where Nehemiah has the same job. He gets to taste the wine that the king is going to drink to make sure that the wine is not poisoned. That's a great job. As long as the wine isn't poisoned. Right? I mean, Nehemiah is an Israelite and he probably has never seen his homeland. He's never set foot in Jerusalem. Israel was over a thousand miles away and most of the people had never made it back for some 140 years. But Nehemiah hears of his home city in Jerusalem in ruins. Its walls are destroyed and its gates have been burned down. In Nehemiah chapter 1 and verse 4, he tells how he responds. He hears of the condition of the holy city. He just says, I just, I just for days sat down and wept. I sat down and wept and I mourned and I fasted and I prayed to the God of heaven. He was emotionally devastated to hear that his ancestral home had been laid waste. Jerusalem was this bright and shining star in his, in his imagination and now it was utterly fallen and after days of prayer, after days of, of fasting and, and mourning, he emerges with a firm assurance that something has to be done. He cannot just stand by idly as he hears about all of the chaos that's going on. And even though he has a comfortable life, and even though he's a part of the inner circle of the palace, he's willing to give all that up. It was time for him to run his race. And it was time for him to discover what what so many of us have already begun to learn about the basic obstacles of life. Saying yes to God, what well, also means saying yes to obstacles, doesn't it? Saying yes to obstacles. So what I want us to do, just for a few minutes, I want us to look at some of these, I want us to look at some of the obstacles that, that Nehemiah faced. And I want, you to, I want you to think about where you are, whether it be starting something new in college or maybe you're going from middle school to high school. Maybe you're having a job transition. There's some transition going on in your life. I just want you to think about where you are right now. And I want you to think about if any of these obstacles that Nehemiah faced are present also with you. The first one that he had to deal with was apathy. And it's a doozy because it often keeps a lot of us from running. I mean, I don't run unless there's somebody chasing me with a knife. You know, intent to do me bodily harm. Then I will, then I will run. 
And apathy just keeps us on the sidelines. Apathy just allows everybody else to run except for me. Now Nehemiah could have said, you know what? Jerusalem is just so far away. It's a thousand miles away. I've never been there after all. What does it have to do with my life? Besides, nobody else is doing anything. Psychologists call this the bystander effect. It's the phenomenon that takes place when someone watches something bad that is occurring. And because of the significance of it, an obvious call to action is felt. And yet the person does nothing. Except video with their phone. I mean, that's what they do in those moments. But do you remember the cartoon character Popeye? Remember him? Popeye and he had his villain Brutus that would sometimes give Popeye's girlfriend olive oil a hard time. And Popeye, he would, keep, he would just take all that he could take until finally he would say, that's all I can stand and I can't stand no more. And then with the help of a big can of spinach, he would become this lean, mean fighting machine. Now if I see something wrong, if I see something wrong that needs to be righted, how long is it until I can't stand it anymore? You see, apathy is a huge obstacle in the path of God's people. While I was out in California, I sat down with Dr. Daniel Rodriguez. He's the dean of Pepperdine's Religious Studies Department. And I talked with him about trends and challenges that that he has seen in his 25 years there as a professor and at what he sees right now facing disciples of Jesus. And he said that our churches must begin talking more about justice, race, equality, and sexuality. And he said that young disciples have a great desire to do something to alleviate, to attack the suffering and division that they see around them but that they must be equipped to take action from a kingdom of God perspective. He said it's not enough just to want to do something and to feel within that something needs to be righted, that there is a wrong occurring that needs to be stopped. He said we need to be able to raise up young men and women who are able to tackle the challenges of our time, but tackle them from the perspective of God and Christ and the spirit and the kingdom that they inhabit. He said, but here's the problem. He said, our young people perceive that their older brothers and sisters of faith are apathetic to talk about, much less actively address, the major issues that are facing today's society. They feel as if we've said, you know what, let's not talk about race in church. Let's not talk about sexuality. Ooh, let's not justice... Those are things that let the politicians talk about that kind of stuff. Immigration, leave it alone. Apathy. The obstacle of apathy where the disciples of Jesus stand on the sidelines hoping that someone else will go and do battle against Satan and his army. But let me ask you, if the people of God do not stand up against Satan and the things that he is doing trying to destroy this world, then who is to stand up? Who has been called to stand up if not the people of God? Jesus said, 
That he would establish his church, his, his called out, his ecclesia. And he said that the gates of hell itself will not stand against it. And yet the people of God, it seems more and more today, allow the obstacle of apathy to keep them from engaging in the race that has been set before them. And so the world burns. Jerusalem had been burned and broken for a long time. When the situation had been bad for so long, there's this tendency where individuals just lose interest. Wherever they say, you know, it's just the way things have always been, it's the way things always will be, and we just kind of shrug. And our tolerance to brokenness around us in our neighborhoods or in our cities, in our states, in our world, just the tolerance just becomes higher and higher. And we have the tendency to think, well, it's just too late. And, and after all, what can I do? Isn't it time that the people of God begin to say, it's all I can stand and I can't stand no more. I can't stand the injustice. I, I, I can't stand the, the segregation. I, I, I cannot stand it when there are individuals who are made in the image of God who are made to feel as if they do not count. Nehemiah reached his breaking point. And after periods of prayer and after periods of fasting, he says, something has to be done and I'm going to be the one to do it. But he next runs into the obstacle of insufficiency. This is where the person thinks, you know what, I'm just not qualified. I'm too old. I'm too young. I'm not smart enough. I don't have the right resources. I mean, no one would have blamed Nehemiah if he had heard about what was going on in Jerusalem and said, you know what, it's a thousand miles away. I work for a king who would be threatened if all of a sudden walls were built up around this city and the city was reestablished. He had no reason to see a revived Israel. The king's official foreign policy was that Jerusalem was to be hands off. Nehemiah knew full well that on paper there was no way for him to run the race that he felt had been marked out before him. He didn't have what it took. He didn't have the position. He didn't have the power. He definitely didn't have the resources. And that's not being negative. It's not being fatalistic. That's just truth. Just truth. So how did he overcome? Well, you read in his prayer journal, he just began to pour out his heart to God. There didn't seem to be much more he could do in his position and there wasn't anything more powerful that he could do. By the time you get to chapter 2, four months had passed. He had prayed and he had prayed and he had prayed and nothing had happened. Nehemiah understood though that prayer was real work. It wasn't just something that you did at a designated time. It required patience. And he prayed for months and nothing happened. Until one day, he was bringing wine to the king. And the king noticed that his face seemed to be downcast. He seemed to be anxious. He seemed to be worried. There seemed to be something on his mind. And so the king asked what it was that was causing him such pain. Now he could have answered and said, oh, it's nothing. But he said, this is the moment that I have been praying for. This is the moment that I have been asking God to give me. And so he explained to the king why his face was sad, how his ancestral city had been destroyed, and how that he had a passion burning within him to build it up again. And when you read his words, you see the passion that just keeps flowing out of him. And so the king says, well, what do you want? 
And Nehemiah, he asked for the stars. He asked for a royal blessing so that he could go home and rebuild. It was a stunning request. And the king buys in. He gives him permission. He gives him timber. He gives him guards. And he sends him off on his way. For four months, it seemed as if God wasn't listening. Yet Nehemiah waited on the Lord and he was patient. And finally, his patience was rewarded. And let me tell you this morning, if you're one of the individuals here and your four months is up, can I ask you to keep praying? Because you could be right at the edge, right at the cusp of seeing God give you the moment that you have asked for, that you have waited for, if only you will be faithful. And if you will be patient... You fast forward and Nehemiah has journeyed to Jerusalem. He's begun the repairs on the city walls. And you would think that those who were living in the area would really be excited about this and overjoyed to see the construction begin. I mean, after all, once finished, the rebuilt walls are going to provide security and they're going to restore legitimacy to the old city. But a couple of guys didn't want the wall to be rebuilt. And that's when Nehemiah runs into the obstacle of opposition. Have you found out yet that everybody doesn't like or agree with your passion? Not everybody likes your leadership. Not everybody enjoys the direction that you try to carry them. You know, when you start to rebuild, people whom you'd expect to be supportive and encouraging are sometimes those who are most critical and discouraging. A spouse acts annoyed about your new spiritual commitment. A good buddy gives you a hard time all because you're trying to stop drinking. You change some priorities and good friends begin to write you off. You no longer get the invitations that you used to. Discouraging people make it difficult to endure. And so here's what I want you to do this morning. I want to challenge you to be an encourager in someone else's rebuilding process today. Hey, anybody can go and tear down. Anybody can go out this week and run somebody down. Anybody can go out and say something negative. It doesn't take a lot of time or effort. But how about the right word coming from you at just the right time? Don't you imagine that it could make the difference in someone else's life? Nehemiah said yes to God and that meant saying yes to facing opposition. That's just how it works. You know, sometimes we run into a problem and we say, well, God must not be in this. This must not be, we say, God's will for my life. Because we get the idea that a smooth track proves that God is on our side. And the knee bumps on the road mean it's a heavenly thumbs down. And, and we just need to change the direction. And we just need to go somewhere else. Individuals say, I'm constantly fighting with my spouse. Maybe I, maybe I miss God's will and married the wrong person. A person says, our house still hasn't sold. Maybe God didn't want me to move to a different town or start a new job. My kids just keep fighting with me. I must be a horrible parent. You know this degree? This degree is just full of trials. Maybe I just need to drop out. My parents don't get me. They must not love me. I keep praying for God to change this and it hasn't. I'm just done. Because obstacles come in the way, we just think, well, you know what, God, God just wants me to do something else. But what if it's the opposite? Sometimes when we face the trials and the roadblocks, that tells us, you know what, we're doing something right. Nehemiah wasn't facing opposition building the wall because he was doing something wrong. It was because he was doing something that needed to be done. 
And that means that opposition should not discourage us, but make us more determined. Because if we think of opposition as an indication that we are running this race that God has marked out before us, if, if we look at that opposition and we think, you know what, I'm facing this opposition, this is what God needs me to do, it changes the way things go. But if we look at it and say, you know what, if I face opposition, I'm just going to quit, then what gets accomplished there? When you run the race that God has marked out, you can expect opposition. If you're content to stay in the back of the pack and not push ahead, if you're fine with just the status quo, then don't worry. Nobody's ever going to tell you to stop building. Nobody's ever going to tell you to stop reading the Bible. Nobody will ever tell you to stop praying. Nobody will ever tell you to stop speaking out in the name of Jesus. Nobody will say to stop loving. Nobody will tell you to stop serving. But you know what? As soon as you start running, as soon as you start standing up, as soon as you start saying, you know what, it's going to stop and it's going to stop now, then you're going to face criticism. And the relentlessness can really hurt. And it can make you want to give up. Especially when you look around and see how much there is to do. Nehemiah mobilizes the people to build the wall. Nehemiah 4 and verse 5 says, with all of their heart... But as they reach the halfway point, they begin to look around and they see all the rubble and they see all the debris that's there around them and the people are just ready to give up. And I wonder, have you ever felt overwhelmed by the obstacle of slow progress? Where you get ready to build and after a few weeks things are going really good and then you become discouraged because you thought everything was going to be quicker. We thought the people would be more receptive of our ideas and like the laborers that were there on the wall, we, we find our strength giving out. And at some point we say, well, what's the point? Because nobody else in the city cares. And it doesn't seem like anybody else at church is really concerned about it. My family doesn't seem to have a lot of passion for this. There's just too much work. And there's too much rubble. Maybe you said a month ago that you were going to commit to paying off your debt. You started strong, but then you saw a little cash balance. So you grab your credit card and you head to the mall. You go for a week of praying with your spouse, but then one night you get in a fight and you say things that you know you shouldn't because you lost your temper and you think, well, fine, I just need to stop it and I just need to give up. Don't allow the slow progress to make you feel as if you will never finish. Man, for some of you who are in college right now, this is huge because you're coming in and you're going, how many more years do I have to do this? And some of you guys, you're going to change your major two, three, four, five, six, ten times before you figure out what it is that you want to do. And you've got, how much longer is it going to go? But here's what you need to realize. All the time that you're building, all the time that you're running, all the time that you're going to class, all the time that you're serving, all the time that you're standing up, God is using those moments to give you strength and to prepare you for a place that he's going to lead you years later. Years down the road. And so don't give up. So real quick, let's close out. Let's close out and let's answer this question. What do you do? What do you do when you start to get to these obstacles and you just want to be, you just want to be finished with it? You've got three choices that you need to make. Here's the first one. You've got to choose to embrace the obstacles. You need to choose to embrace the obstacles. You read through Nehemiah's story and it just becomes clear that he faced obstacles head on. He didn't step away. He didn't back down. 
He didn't pretend that something was easy when actually it was extraordinarily difficult. When he first gets to Jerusalem, he goes and he surveys all the damage that has been done so he can make a list of the things that he's going to need. He takes note of all the challenges he's going to have to face. And yet, too often, we just do the opposite. We resort to avoidance and denial. Instead of addressing financial concerns, we leave bills unpaid and pretend that everything is fine. If our marriage is struggling, we don't talk about it. We retreat to opposite corners. We pretend that, that everything is okay. There aren't any problems. And that path of least resistance is so tempting. But I want you to think a mo- take a moment and I want you to think about an area of your life that needs rebuilding. Think about how the rubble has kept you away. You've told yourself at some point you will address the mess, but you intentionally avoid it. And procrastination, well, that's just a slow way to quit. It takes courage to identify and honestly address the situation and embrace the obstacle. And in the name of God, continue to run. And don't stop praying. Guys, don't stop praying. I mentioned it earlier, but when Nehemiah faced an obstacle, he prayed. And in many ways, it's the theme of the entire book that you find there in your Old Testament. From the time he heard about the devastation of the walls, he prayed at at every juncture. And he found confidence and he found courage in his prayer by remembering who God was and, and what God had done and all the promises that God had made. And as his confidence grew, he would go and encourage the people with a very powerful truth. He told them in Nehemiah chapter 4 and verse 20, our God will fight for us. Our God will fight for us. It's a ringing declaration that showed Nehemiah's mentality. How can we give up when we know that God is fighting for us? How can we stop? How can we be quiet? How can we sit down when we know that the armies of heaven are doing battle? How can you stop your cause? How can you stop running? You have every right to feel strong and courageous when the God of heaven's armies is fighting for you. So you keep on praying and you keep running. Or in Nehemiah's case, you keep building. Or if you're in school, you keep going to class. Or you keep going to work. Or you keep going home. You keep coming to be with the church family. When the naysayers moved from verbal taunts to physical threats, Nehemiah told the people to keep on building. They were to carry building materials in one hand and a weapon in the other. They were preparing to fight, but they were to keep on building. And when the enemies ended up sending messages to Nehemiah saying, why don't you come down from your building and and stop and, and come and meet with us? Nehemiah sends back and basically says, why do I stop when I'm on a roll, man? Man, I'm on a roll and I'm doing something here for God and I don't have time to stop and listen to your criticism and I don't have time to stop and listen to your naysaying and I don't have time to stop and listen to all of your negativity. And maybe one of the biggest things that you could hear this morning is for you to hear the message from God saying, you know what, there are some people in your life that you need to stop listening to. There are some people that you just need to stop listening to. Those individuals that are telling you that you can't and those individuals that are telling you that you want and those individuals that are trying in any way to tear you down and to bring you down. Nehemiah says, I don't have time for that. I got to build. And I know sometimes it seems right to stop and deal with the obstacles, but if all possible, we should keep running the race and do the work that God has for us to do. Sure, show people you mean business. But keep on building and keep running. 
and keep doing what God has called for you. You know how long it took them, right? You know how long it took them to complete the wall? Nehemiah wrote it down in his journal, chapter 6, verse 15. 52 days. 52 days. You know, somehow that doesn't really seem that long. We've actually been doing this surround series longer than 52 days. 52 days. I know at the beginning all the obstacles seem epic. And you think it's just going to take a decade to be able to push through everything. But then you begin to look back and you begin to realize, you know, I've, I've come so far and it really hasn't taken that long. So I want to encourage you this morning not to give in. I want to encourage you not to give up. I want to encourage you through the message of God to keep on praying and to keep on building and to keep on running. Because you may be 52 short, prayerful, running, persevering days from the breakthrough of your life. And I want you to see what Nehemiah wrote. Right after he said, hey, it took us 52 days, he said, when our enemies heard all about this, all the surrounding, all the surrounding nations, all those people around us who were giving us a hard time, it says they lost all their self-confidence because they realized that this work had been done with the help of our God. Hey, you want to make Satan run this week? Then you keep running. You want to bring fear into the lives of the enemies and to the naysayers and the bullies that have been speaking falsehood into your life? Then you keep running. If you want to be someone who others look at and say, I don't understand what is happening. I don't understand what's going on. And then that gives you the opportunity to say, the only reason I'm able to get through this obstacle, the only reason I'm able to get through this downturn, the only reason I'm able to go through this very difficult period in life is because my God is with me. If you want that to be your message, then you just keep running. What is God going to do in your life in 52 days? I want you to go ahead and look. Mark it in your calendar. 52 days from today. 52 days from today. You're going to talk about this in your class here just in a few moments. 52 days from today. I want you to commit today to start praying or to keep praying. I want you to commit today to saying, you know what? I'm not going to take it, whatever it is anymore. And I'm going to stand up against injustice and, and sexism and, and racism and all the other isms that I see that are destroying areas of my neighborhoods or cities or country or world. And I want you to be the Nehemiah that when others say, why don't you stop building? Why don't you stop your Bible study? Why don't you stop this focus on Jesus? You say, I don't got time because I'm doing the work of God and this is something that is too important for me. And then in 52 days, I want you to come and tell me what God has done in your life. I want to hear about what you have been able to rebuild with the help of Jehovah God. 52 days. It changed Jerusalem. It changed Nehemiah. And I promise it'll change you as well. Father, I thank you so much. I thank you so much for your power and for your promises. And for the examples that you give us, individuals like Nehemiah who filled with passion said, I just can't, I can't take it anymore. I've got to do something. 
And you empowered him and you walked with him and you gave he and the people of Jerusalem strength and they accomplished what many felt like was an impossible task. And there were people who were up against them and there were people who were saying that it couldn't be done and yet they did it anyway. And the result was fear. The result was self-confidence was lost and you were praised. So Father, my prayer is that over the next 52 days, all who are here today, those who are watching online, for the next 52 days, we will be men and women of prayer and we will be men and women of action. We will be men and women who take our obstacles on, head on. And Father, for the next 52 days, we will see your power and we will see your might and we will see your victory. Father, we're going to go ahead and give you the praise today for what you're going to be doing in our life over the next 52 days. We're going to give you the praise right here and right now. And we thank you for working through us. We thank you for strengthening us. We thank you for empowering us. We thank you for making us victorious. In the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Would you like to praise this wonderful and awesome God this morning? We're going to sing together. I ask that you... I ask that you open up your voices and give God praise. If you would like to come this morning asking for prayer, for strength, more, more strength, we have members of our elders who would love to be able to, to pray with you, to put their arms around you. Others of our congregation who will wrap you up. If you'd like to be baptized into Christ this morning, you've had other people tell you, you know what, you don't need to follow Jesus, but you say, you know what, i got something I've got to do today. And I've got to follow Jesus into the waters of baptism. And I'm going to die to self and rise to him. We'd love to celebrate with you. Whatever your need is, we encourage you to come. As together, we stand and give God praise.